Mini episode 1323 of the FDH Lounge is brought to you by Sportsology, delivering unconventional columns and webcasts about sports, TV, music, movies, and more. Follow them on the web at sportsology.com. The FDH Lounge. You want to schedule your life around it. A long time ago, on a gloomy, wet Cleveland spring night, two men stand alone amidst the late night drizzle. Their voices echo across the vacant station parking lot as they debate the merits of the great American radio show that have been missing for far too long. On that night, an idea was born. That idea became the FDH Lounge. Welcome to the FDH Lounge. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the FDH Lounge. This is our 14th anniversary celebration, and we have back with us the panel that gathered for the 13th anniversary and for somewhat of a similar purpose. Let's just kind of recap quickly what that was about. So for the 13th anniversary, we got together and we recorded a recap of the 2010s in a lot of different areas of society, a preview of the 2020s. We were also going through a survey that had been sent out to the FDH Academy of Arts and Sciences, so we had a large survey base to go through as well as our own opinions. What we're doing here today is we are doing, we're giving ourselves a mulligan on 2020s prediction, because outside of my very dystopian predictions, I believe I predicted a lot of war and economic downturn and misery, but I didn't predict a pandemic, so truly none of us were that close to the mark. We all need a mulligan, because this has been a transformational event in society, probably like nothing since the end of World War II. And uh, as we enter the, 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 the next part of the 2020s here, the, the equivalent of the World War II post-war era, what's that going to be like? So we have a new set of predictions, and instead of segregating them as we did a year ago by topic, we're going to take them all together, because this is the show where nothing is off topic, and we never imagined that there could be any kind of a, a deal where everything would blur together so much, but that's what coronavirus has done. It has blurred together sports, politics, entertainment, all of that. Everything has been affected, so what we talk about today is going to affect all these different areas that we discussed a year ago. Start to go through here with our panel, recap who we had last year. And uh, to start, we will go back further, and that is to January 14, 2007, the inception of the FDH Lounge, and minutes after the curtain came down on the career of Marty Schottenheimer, coaching his last game with that upset with the uh, Chargers, uh, the curtain rose on the FDH Lounge, and uh, one of the original dignitaries who was there with me, an old friend of mine, good college buddy, uh, Chris Galloway, a gentleman whom uh, I always take pride in saying I ran the man's first campaign back in college. Uh, that's how far back we go. And uh, a gentleman who uh, was a part of planning out the FDH Lounge. We had a great football trip down to watch our beloved Ohio Bobcats in the fall of 2006 where I was talking to him about what was to come. And uh, he was helping to shape that. And like I said, was one of the guys that was in on the ground floor of this thing and has been in ever since. He is also a guy where another one of our panelists noted this week, he happened to be out at a deli in Lake County, and suffice it to say, this man's sticker game is always on point. I speak, of course, of my good friend Chris Galloway. Correct. How are we today? Uh, pleasure to be here, as always. Um, sticker or sticker list, that is. Yes. <laughs> well, you always do a fine job with them uh, in any uh, measure of life here, so to speak. So, good to have you in. And uh, next up, we talk about folks who were essentially dignitaries before there were dignitaries, because there were some shows at the old Sports Talk Network where we did this show for the first four and a half years that were precursors to this show. And nothing exemplifies that better 
than the old reality check back in the day. Uh, my good friend Ron Glasnap, uh, doing the show at the time with uh, former Cleveland radio luminary Peter Brown, uh, when Peter's uh, availability started to fray a little bit, uh, Ron threw up the bat signal, and answering it was my old high school buddy, Dave Adams, who'd worked with Ron as a radio producer previously, and actually sort of brought Ron into our circle of friends, and yours truly, as I got back into broadcasting uh, for the first time since uh, my days at the Harvard on the Hocking at uh, WOUB Public Radio down there. So uh, something that I have always uh, appreciated on Ron's part, it, it, it got me back into broadcasting. It came, quite frankly, it was the beginning of the end of the worst period of my life when my mother passed away and I had a very deep depression. And it was uh, something that really has just been appreciated by me on multiple levels ever since. Uh, Reality Check ran for two years. It was awesome. And uh, it has basically remained a fabric of this show because we've had Ron and Dave on numerous times since. Always a pleasure to get back on my good friend Ron Glasnap, uh, a, a Cleveland uh, radio and TV producing uh, legend, shall we say. Ron, good to have you back on, my man. Isn't legend another word for old? <laughs> well, we are, buddy. <laughs> we are. <laughs> and by the way, as I, I, I've got to break kayfabe a little bit here as we're working in we don't have a video component to uh, what the podcast is going to be for our purposes of seeing one another. Uh, an outstanding troll job on Chris and I with your uh, Miami gear here today. So well That's completely intentional. <laughs> well played, my friend. So uh, up next, as we're going through this here, every group of friends, I should say, uh, there's always sort of a, a a few sort of subsets in there, a few kind of wolf packs within uh, the various groups here. So. Uh, our, our next gentleman uh, that I'm going to introduce here has been a longtime contributor to uh, FantasyDraftHelp.com, of course, in our tennis and golf fantasy expert leagues, and uh, somebody who is also, uh, I mentioned the reality check crew before of Ron, Dave, and myself. Uh, the particular wolf pack I'm speaking of here involves uh, another of my old high school friends, John Adams, Dave's brother. And uh, we have gone and done such things as going to baseball trips out of town, going to watch wrestling when it's in town, uh, getting on numerous Zoom calls through the course of this year. So uh, this, uh, this wolf pack that we have sort of within my group of friends, two of the three guys are represented here today. So along with me and Ron, Johnny Adams, uh, an outstanding artist slash teacher, somebody bringing his perspective to the mix here. So, Johnny, good to have you back in as always, my friend. Always a pleasure to uh, discuss uh, current events with you gentlemen, and thanks for being part of it. A quick question, however. Uh, does the mulligan, does it last a decade? I'm just curious. <laughs> Later. You know, that'd help us all if something even worse happens in 2021, and we got to come back at the beginning of 2022 and say, okay, we didn't factor in this nuclear war or whatever the case may be. So, yeah, God forbid, Johnny. But uh, up next here, last but not least, Rick thinks we'd be doing a podcast after a nuclear war. <laughs> you know, as <laughs> I think while we're wandering around the wasteland trying to figure out who we're going to eat, I don't know that this would be in the top of our priority. As they say, Chris, uh, cockroaches, uh, Twinkies, and Rick Morris after a nuclear war. I am the perennial survivor. And uh, another gentleman who is, how's that for a, a segue here? Uh, last but not least, uh, when the person who is a part of this thing is the person I've known the least period of time, and it's still 15 years, that shows you how far back I go with everybody. And uh, I got to know this gentleman and his brother uh, whilst uh, working at the old Sports Talk Network. Uh, the, the great show, The Unheard Scene, 
I've had the pleasure in the years since of uh, working with them as co-executive producer on a TV pilot for the show and uh, still working on that, still shopping the thing around, still looking at options, uh, but uh, it's always fun to do stuff with this guy. He brings a very unique perspective uh, to everything, and uh, if I'm going to speak of the memes of the day, this is a guy who liked Twisted Tea before it was popular, my good yes. friend, Anthony Patron. Yes, and don't forget, it packs a big punch. Yes, it does. <laughs> Bigger <laughs> than Amazing Blue. <laughs> Glad to be here, guys. Uh, yeah, I know I'm the new guy, but, you know... Good to talk to you guys every time. Fifteen years, buddy. You're still the new guy. That's how far back I go with the other guys. <laughs> it's, when you're talking about high school and college, uh, yeah, fifteen years is uh, but, but the blink of an eye. And, uh, again, this is the crew that we had for last year. This is why I wanted to do it with these guys specifically to kind of revisit all of this. And, like I said, not to do what we did last year, which was to hey, take Rick, the top individual. Rick, yeah. can I make my first prediction? Go ahead. I'm going to go ahead and predict that Texas fires Tom Herman and hires Steve, Car Steve Sarkeesian as their coach. How's that? <laughs> well, I don't think it would exactly take Nostradamus to predict that, but uh, no, that's... Considering, considering that it apparently went down 10 minutes ago. Yes. Well, and, and just trying to see how slow your guys' internet connections were. By the way, uh, and, and this is what, what this will do, sometimes we, we, we peel back the, the curtain, we break the fourth wall here, so to speak. The anniversary of the show is January 14, uh, 2021, and when this will be posted. So folks will know exactly when we taped this based on what Chris just said there. <laughs> There's your Easter egg, folks. Be inquisitive. Look it up. And uh, as we start, uh, it, it's, it's interesting that uh, you had uh, piped up with that there, uh, Chris, because last year in the course of uh, doing the show, uh, whilst we were recording, uh, I proclaimed you. There are a couple of uh, little, little titles I've bestowed over a period of time with the show here, uh, and I bestowed upon you the, uh, at that time the title of Chief Futurist of the FDH Lounge because among all of my friends, you're always the guy the most that's kind of looking at these things. I'll see you sometimes post up about it on Facebook. Sometimes you'll send something to me. Uh, you've always had the most consistent interest in what's coming and what's ahead out of anybody I know, really. So the only way we can really get this thing fired up, I got some notes here. I got some things that I want to get to. I know everybody does, but let's just let you start it off here on, on what you see coming out of the coronavirus crisis 2020 and uh, what that's going to bode for really any area of society you want to start with. Well, um, I think that, you know, I think long term, we're going to look back at this and frankly be wondering why everybody in some ways overreacted. Um, I think the white papers in 10 years are going to be very damning on government's reaction to this. Right? Um, and talking about specifically how it could have been done smarter. Um, but again, a lot of that will be 2020 in the rearview mirror. Um, I think the biggest thing is that, you know, we, th th what we're doing today and doing this on, you know, basically a Zoom, uh, I think the biggest thing that coronavirus has done is it's probably spun up about 10 to 15 years of um, cultural and maybe even some business change in a very short period of time. Um, and the longer it goes, the more that those things will be set in place and we won't go back to the way we used to do that, whether it's, you know, some people with grocery delivery. Um, why drive two hours to have a, have a one-hour meeting when you can jump on Zoom and get it done 30 minutes. 
Um, you know, the same thing, there's going to be some shift in terms of population. Um, if you if your company doesn't require you to be there because they figured out they don't need all the expensive office overhead um, and only need to be need you in the office maybe occasionally, then you're going to see uh, movement. I mean, if you're a programmer or tech company, you don't have to live in San Francisco. But yeah, I mean, I, I just I just think what we did was we, we we sort of spun forward a lot of changes in how people are going to live their lives. Uh, about 15 years with the changes in in 12 months. Um, what what that ends up doing in terms of effect, um, it's it's hard to say. Um, you know, I think some things are just not going to come back to where they were, and um, and other things will accelerate. And and that doesn't mean it's all for the for the worst. I, I I typically am a I'm the opposite of Rick. I am a believer in human progress, um, and that things are in general getting better seen in the last 20 to 30 years, uh, the, you know, poverty in the world has been reduced dramatically. Um, you know, despite some of the challenges, you know, science and healthcare move forward, technology moves forward. You know? So I, I tend to be a believer in terms of human progress, things that are getting better. So I suspect that when this is done, um, we'll be able to go back and point at some things that are, uh, you know, that, that we'll be able to point to the, sort of the green shoots that come out of the negative of the coronavirus and say, you know, these are the good things that came out of it. Uh, Johnny, what do you think? I was uh, fascinated when you started to talk about what the, the work situation will look like. And I, I find that, uh, like, for instance, myself, I'm teaching art via computer right now, which is extremely challenging. However, uh, the psychology of, of working from a computer, both in for the student-teacher relationship and also uh, for, like, you know, staffing. Say, you're like you said, you're, you're working from home. You're working maybe not in an office setting. I'm interested to see what it's going to look like going forward for people to, say, manage their time. Are they going to overwork even though they're at home? Are there long-term health effects from sitting? Um because we all know, like, you know, owning a business, running a business is kind of demanding and requires extra hours. So uh, just from that standpoint of managing the time, like, for instance, some of my students there uh, have all this time on their hands, but they have to manage it. And while it's difficult for some, it, it, those are good practical skills for, uh, you know, whether they're going to own a business or working in, in what the new work is going to look like, as you said. Because I don't know, I, our office is going to keep these big spaces with overhead when people can work from home. Interesting, interesting, uh, and then the travel aspect too. So, um, yeah, we'll see. Uh, in terms of, uh, I, I don't know. That's it, it's going to be interesting to see where that goes. Uh, Ron, thoughts? I, I was trying to find a nice way to say this, and I I can't really come up with the best way, but I almost compare this a lot and the future that's going to happen to what happened after 9-11. Think of all the things that were in your life that you could do and the way you did things before 9-11 and now. There are kids today who have no idea what it's like to go pick up someone at the gate at an airport. There are kids who have no idea what it's not like, what it's like to not go through a metal detector to go into school and that sort of thing. This is going to be the same thing. Tell me whatever kid you're going to let blow out birthday candles ever again. 
You know, what, what's going to happen with everyone in the world in your store is going to be behind plexiglass. It's almost you're adding barriers a lot to society that weren't there anymore. So how do people work around that? The other thing, yeah, and you're all correct, in, in the office world, in the business world, tell me why I'm ever going to pay for a flight to someplace, a hotel, pay for business dinners and whatever instead of get on a Zoom call. Um, you know, I, I think business travel is going to be gone. And in the business that I work in, in television, especially sports television, if I can get a feed from wherever the game is happening, why do I have to send a whole crew there to make the game? Feed it into my studio, and we'll just do it as we need to for whoever needs it. Um, there's going to be a Ron, lot of changes, and we haven't that's seen them yet. Great point, Ron. We watched last night Herb Street do the the game for Ohio State and Clemson from his home in Nashville. Yeah, mm-hmm. they did not have to put him on a plane, three days of hotel, all the overhead. He just sat in his room. They gave him the feed, and he just. And he just talked with the other host. I forget who it was. Uh, Chris Fowler. Yeah. So, so that's a great, great example in terms of work change. And, and also for us as sports consumers, um, something that's going to change is that they don't need to send these people all, all over the place anymore. Um, and, and that's a thing that you're going to, I think you're going to see ESPN and Fox and them go, you know what? We've got, we've got 65 games we're televising in college football this week. You know what? We don't need to send these guys all over the place. Let me ask you guys this, though. I have a question. In in terms of this, do you guys feel like this is necessarily all a bad thing? Because when you're talking about the plexiglass and things like that, and I know Johnny was saying about somebody blowing out candles on a birthday cake, I mean, we're used to, in the winter, having just horrible flu seasons every year, a bunch of old people die. We're, We're used to that. Like, I think this has been a better flu season thus far than expected, I think. I know it's been in the Southern Hemisphere, and probably because of some of the mitigation efforts in place. Would you guys agree with me that some of the things that are happening are probably going to be good going forward, that maybe we should have been doing those all along anyways? I think, Rick, that there's going to be, and you were off and I was kind of filibustering. Sure. Uh, <laughs> there are going to be some green shoots of positive that, that, that are going to come out of it. Okay. But it's not all going to be a negative. Ron makes a great point about a negative in terms of how our lives are going to change, a la 9-11. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, a, that's a great angle to talk about in terms of humans' desires to always prefer safety over freedom. We can have that big conversation, you know, for those of us who were steadfast opposed to formation of Homeland Security, because we figured eventually it'll just be the secret police, um, to, you know, Flash, you know, move forward 10 years. Oh, look, they're spying on all of us. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, this is going to be the same way. You know, we're going to start with viruses as the next step to Ron's point. You know, are we, well, I mean, we, do you have your card that shows your, your, your gene breakdown? You know, are you, do you have bad genes? Like, I don't know. Like, where does all this nonsense go? So those are things that, that that's a whole ball of, that's, that's readily up your alley, Rick, in terms of the dystopian and, and, yeah. And, and whatnot. Um, but there will be positives. You're, you're going to see less travel, right? So for the greenies, you know, mm-hmm. in theory, less automobiles, traffic, all the rest of those types of things. Right. Um, you know, less air travel potentially. Um, to Ron's point, I think, I still think from a business standpoint, there are some meetings that you still need to do in person. So I don't think it's going to be gone completely. Right. But I think, you know, businesses, 
when they are shown a way to save money, capitalism, baby, they figure out a way to save money. So things like not flying the crew to right. five different games this week. Think about NBA telecasts, right? I mean, right. why do they need to be there? Um, you know, same thing. I think that you're going to start to see that uh, the technology that sprouts out of this that's one of the things that changes uh, the way it's you know the way things happen. To your point, there's been almost no flu this year, right? Almost none. And, yeah. and that's probably a function of um, and, and just talking to healthcare people I know. And I was reading an article yesterday out of um, it was San Diego County. Normally by this time they would have had like thirteen thousand cases of flu, and they've mm-hmm. had like three hundred. Wow. And and it's and it's because of social distancing and masks and all the rest of that that it's just limited the amount of flu that's being spread. We saw sure. in the Southern Hemisphere, to your point, that there's been all, there was almost none. Um, and, and so is that a positive? Well, yes, thank God. We need a break, right? We don't need right. a bad flu season and a bad COVID situation. Right. Uh, so there are definitely going to be some positives that come out of this. I, You know, one of the things I'm looking forward to, and I, I really want to hear uh, Johnny's thoughts on this, which is, you know, where does this go in terms of education? Um, I think for younger kids, for certain, they need to be in school, and I think hands-on is important for a lot of subjects. But I look at like things like college that are extremely become extremely expensive these days, and I could get on my that's because government is involved in it, of course. But um, you know, in the old days, you needed a university because that's you know, in the medieval times, you went to university because that's where the monks and the handful of books that existed. You had to go there to learn knowledge. Now, I don't need to go to University of Michigan physically and sit there to learn something if I'm majoring in, I majored in history. Right? Do I need to be in a classroom to learn history? So I, I wonder how over time that's going to potentially blow up the university system in terms of how we do things. I think, And I think that could be a very big positive in terms of democratizing and making cheaper um, elements of higher education for, for the mass. Okay, and I, I've got a question for Anthony subsequently uh, about uh, the, the entertainment industry and some of the changes. But, Johnny, yeah, jump in and take Chris's question there. I'd, I'd like to hear your thoughts, too. Yeah, the education piece is fascinating because, right, we've just seen Google advertising get the six-month certification, come work for us and make $50,000 a year, which is a very livable wage. But in terms of education, it will be very interesting to see uh, – you know, the, the, the higher education, uh, I think it, it might be like a bubble that's going to burst, right? Especially with the, we'll see what the administration's going to do with, uh, you know, possibly free college or loan forgiveness. But does a, does a student, you know, to your point, there was a limited access to, uh, books, but now you could pick up your phone and, uh, guess what? You could just learn about just about anything. Years ago, we talked about, well, what if you had this device that had all the answers? Well, we all do. It's in our pocket. So uh, I'll be fascinated to see where that goes. Uh, you know, and as we know, a lot of these degrees require a first degree, second degree of speech pathology. You have to have a master's. If you want to practice being a chiropractor with a, with a medical license, you know, that's more schooling. It's going to be interesting. Um, I think the future for a lot of people is going to be get that high school diploma and then learn a trade, create your own business. I do think the struggle that we're seeing some of our young people, at least that I'm seeing with, with managing time in a classroom, I think the silver lining to that is you're going to have people 
uh, acquiring skills to maybe just forget college. I'm going to save the debt and go start a business and be successful. So I could see a lot of these colleges uh, really closing. I think your state universities will be around, but without endowments in these small private colleges, I don't know if they, they can survive because they're just based on enrollment. We'll see. There's but a lot of small colleges right now that are already in deep duty. I mean, locally, I you know, not to impugn, but I mean, I know firsthand that, you know, colleges like Hiram, I mean, they're in trouble. Um, even state universities, uh, let's be honest, there is no reason to have Kent and Akron. There's just not. Akron is underwater by hundreds of millions of dollars. They have so far out of their skis in debt. Um, their enrollment is down. Um, you know, you could make an argument that it's time to start consolidating even states. Well, that's an interesting okay. thought there. And, and again, I know that Ohio State University, uh, as you've remarked in the past, uh, Christopher, had tried to subsume both us and Miami. So that is something that... Uh, I mean, that, they did that at a time when it didn't make sense. Well, I, I remember, and, and this, this was in the course of one of our earliest uh, show uh, episodes. I think it was episode two back at the station. We did the Be True to Your School debate when you were debating Paul Teeple when he was saying it's okay if you're a Bobcat, to root for Ohio State over Ohio U. And you you led the charge. The rest of us were also kind of kidney-punching him for that. But I remember you making that point, and I remember saying, Soto Voce, well, I'm okay with them subsuming Miami. But uh, <laughs> because that's just my my thoughts on it. Oh. Yeah, exactly. But, uh, but, Anthony, as I teased a second ago here, I know that you have uh, most of your – uh, media concentration that you have done has been in the entertainment space. That's been your focus, uh, specifically uh, the music industry, and uh, to be even more specific uh, with your show previously, and hopefully in the future, uh, centering around unsigned music acts. Uh, we've seen a lot of talk this year about what this has done in the sports world uh, with, with uh, the, the inability to have uh, fans or many fans in there for games. Uh, but it, the sports have continued, essentially. Concerts have not, outside of uh, a little bit of the drive-in theater format, uh, of, of where they've kind of adopted that a little bit. So in your sense, Anthony, with your, your finger on the pulse here as far as folks who are in bands and who are in enter entertainment, uh, in that way, uh, I know it's obviously been a very frustrating time for these people. What's your sense of what it's going to be like going forward here as we hopefully start to recover from this situation? Well, I think it's going to change music big time because why would Garth Brooks do, like, example, why would Garth Brooks do a world tour when he can do one concert and stream it live? And uh -huh. then everybody can see that concert. Um, why would, you know, anybody, I mean, I watched, I spent my New Year's watching a concert of some, uh, a local band in my living room. I didn't need to go anywhere. I didn't need to do anything. I didn't have to buy beers. I could get them for free at home. You know, it, 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 I think it takes the travel out of the music. And I, I think that'll be a big downfall because I think the fun part is actually seeing the show live and telling your friends. But I do think it'll change it to the fact that, oh, well, now I don't have to go anywhere. The same thing in movies. I mean, if you look at movies, there are so many people more happy watching movies from home because you'll spend $30 to watch the movie from home. You get to have your own popcorn, your own pop, whatever. Everything's cheaper. I think it's going to lead to more of less. I think there's going to be less concerts. I think there's going to be more people streaming it from home. I think people will be happier streaming it from home. And I think the bands, more or less, will be happier doing it from home because they won't have to be on the road as long. Very possibly, yeah. And we're, we're I have one wrinkle on what Anthony's saying. Yeah. 
and, and I so I, I kind of disagree because I think live concerts, you know, look, Kiss just did New Year's Eve from Dubai where they had like the largest pyrotechnics show and largest stage ever in concert history the other night. And you could watch it for 40 bucks, right? You could, I could put it right on my Apple TV through my stereo and my massive television. And it's great, right? You know, it's not the same as being there and live feeling that, you know, blasting through you and you're there with your buddies. But here's into Anthony's point. This is where I think he's onto something. So let's all think about when Taylor Swift comes to the queue, right? And tickets sell out in 10 seconds, right? There are a lot of people that will still want to go to that show that aren't going to be able to. And I think the future on that point is, especially on some big and popular shows, is there is absolutely no reason that for 40 bucks, as a Taylor Swift fan, you can't be at home and watch the Cleveland concert live if you don't right. get the opportunity to go there. So I Agreed. think the smart bands and the smart acts are going to find a new revenue stream with concerts. And that is, why not make them available, right? I mean, if you're a, if you're a KISS fan, you know, and I, why can't I subscribe to, for, for $500, the, the entire season, all 57 concerts, you know, broadcast right. live over my internet? Why not? I mean, why would you, you know, if you're Taylor Swift, and you know what, you missed the Cleveland show, but hey, by God, look, why don't you patch into the what I'm doing in Tulsa next? Um, right. I'm just saying, it, and there are big enough fans. I think this is an untapped revenue stream. I don't think concerts are going anywhere. I think once this thing is, you know, sort of tamed, I think people are going to be dying to get back out. Uh, I, I don't think it'll be fun. But I, do I don't think, think that's a huge revenue stream that's untapped. I don't think it'll go anywhere. I think it'll be less. Instead of a, a group doing 300 uh, dates a year, they may do 150 and have a few online and just say, just watch that. It's just easier. And you can sell a million, to your point, Chris, you can sell a million tickets as opposed to 20,000. Well, I, let me jump in here. I uh, I like Chris's point here of the income stream uh, that's newly created in a way, because I have a friend who has had a tradition of going to New Year's Eve, Nighttown, Cleveland Heights, catch the show. He was able to pay for a stream to come in. They did a couple concerts. You pay per one, whichever one. And he watched it from home. So now I do also, uh, uh, I think uh, it's going to take a hit. I, I agree with Anthony also. But I, I think the uh, there's something communal about that experience that people are still going to want to do. I still will go to the theater. I will find a way to watch that movie I want to see on the big screen. I like the experience, the ritualism of going to the movies, picking my seat. I sit down, you know. And I think the same thing with concerts. And I hope we'll see. It's going to be really interesting how it's legislative, who can attend and who's not, based on are you vaccinated, and that's a whole other story. But um, I hope I hope the opportunity is there uh, for people to attend. But certainly the access should be there going forward. If you can't make it, can you pay your $40, stream it, have some friends over? Uh, hopefully that will happen, too. It'll be interesting. 